live from the District of Columbia. You're listening to the Black Fundraisers Podcast, a weekly podcast that celebrates, inspires, and equips black fundraisers to excel and positively impact black communities with your host, Kia Kroon. Good day, good people. How you doing out there? Welcome to season two of the Black Fundraisers Podcast. I'm Kia Kroom, and I'm the founder and host of the Black Fundraisers Podcast, your weekly podcast that celebrates, inspires, and equips Black fundraisers to positively impact Black communities. If it's your first time tuning in, let me welcome you into a growing global community of listeners and subscribers. And as I often say, You could be anywhere of your choosing in these internet streets, so I'm absolutely thrilled to know you're listening with me. Good people, I gotta tell you, something pretty dope happened a few short weeks ago. The Chronicle of Philanthropy published a beautiful feature article celebrating me and the Black Fundraisers podcast for our equity-driven content. And I gotta tell you, I couldn't be more thrilled and humbled by it. Yay, look, mama, we made it. (laughs) In the words of Fat Joe, we all the way up. (laughs) Uh, You know me, I got to kid around and throw a couple of bars in there. But when you get a moment, check out that article. You will absolutely love it. And oh, before I forget, have you visited my website? If not, Be sure to check that out, too. It's www.kiacroom.com. Visit it. Check it out. See what a sister has been up to out here in these streets. And feel free to message me and let me know what you think about it, because I love your feedback. Today, y'all, I've got a rich and interesting conversation to share with you. Today, we are looking at results from the Association of Fundraising Professionals 2021 Assessment of Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Access, aka IDEA. We're looking at that survey and some of its findings. The AFP and its IDEA committee, along with nine other organizations for fundraising professionals, launched this national survey in early 2021. And there were more than 2,000 respondents, with the majority of them being from the U.S. and 54 being from Canada. It's noteworthy that this is not the first time the AFP has released its sort of report, which they began publishing in 2016. Today, I'm joined by Birgit Burton, the founder and now CEO of the African-American Development Officers and the chair-elect of the Association of Fundraising Professionals Global Board. Birgit has the distinction of being the first African-American woman in AFP's 60-year history to serve in this role. And she's also the immediate past chair of the IDEA committee. Birgit is a respected leader in the fundraising profession, having raised more than $500 million during her 30-year career. For the last 25 years, she's worked as the Executive Director of Corporate and Foundation Relations at Georgia Tech, where she led her team in raising $309 million toward the institution's most recent successful 
$1.8 billion capital campaign. Birgit recently announced that she's retiring from this role and stepping down to lead AADO, which is now officially a tax-exempt organization and a wonderful resource for Black fundraisers and allies. She is a well-respected speaker on topics of fundraising and diversity and has authored several articles on diversity in the fundraising profession, and even co-authored a book, The Philanthropic Covenant with Black America. She was proud to be selected by Georgia Tech's leadership to participate in the first cohort of Leading Women at Tech, which identified the next community of leaders who will guide the institution in the 21st century. Birgit also serves on the boards of the A.E. Lowe Bryce Scholarship Fund and Hosea Helps. She is the vice chair of the AFP's member engagement committee and an advisor for the Aspen Leadership Group. She holds a bachelor's degree in media communications from Medell College. Before I bring her up, I want to congratulate Birgit on her retirement and express my deep gratitude for all the wonderful work she's done with AADO over the last 25 years and what she aspires to do within this wonderful organization and community she's created in the years to come. Please stand by as I bring Birgit to the Black Fundraisers podcast stage. Hello, Birgit. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Doing real, 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 real good. Real, real good. It doesn't mm-hmm. make much better. Well, welcome to the Black Fundraisers podcast. I'm Thank really you. happy to have you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Looking forward to our conversation. Of course. So, Birgit, one of the things that we start off with, with all of our guests, is a little known and fun fact. So tell the good people <laughs> listening a little known and fun fact about yourself. Well, I love this question when I saw that you were going to ask me this because, you know, I've put a lot out there about my professional career. I've written about it in articles and some book chapters, and I talk about it when I present. But one of the things that people don't know is that early in my 20s, when I was married to my husband, I call him my husband, at the time, he and I sang for weddings. And over an, I don't know, four or five year period, we were wedding singers and we did well over 200 weddings in Buffalo, New York. So we were real popular at the time and we sang everything, the popular things of the day, songs of the day to oldies but goodies. It was a lot of fun. And I could tell some stories another day on some of those weddings too. Oh, wait a minute now. So we have a real live wedding singer here. (laughs) Absolutely not. I didn't say I was a a great singer. My ex-husband was really, really good. I threw in the harmony. We sang all those here and now, endless love. You know, this is back in the late 80s. So that's telling you how old I am. (laughs) It was fun. (laughs) Sounds like it was fun. 200 weddings. Wow. Now that is a little known and fun fact. And 
you made some memories. Somebody's got some videos. Yes. Singing. Some of those <laughs> wedding clients. You, you know? know what? I didn't, yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, there's probably some uh, interesting videos <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Thanks for sharing that fun fact. Well, another fun fact that the good people listening might not know as of yet is that you are the incoming chair of the Association of Fundraising Professionals. Yes. Select. Congrats on that. Well, thank you. I'm really excited about that. So as chair-elect, I'll serve in this role until the end of 2022. And then in January of 2023, I will be the first African-American woman to serve as chair of the global AFP Global Board um, and the third African-American in AFP's 60-year history. So I stand on some very, very broad shoulders of people, black and white, who paved the way for this opportunity for me. And I see it as an opportunity for people of color. I just happen to be the person stepping into the role and I will serve everyone in the association. Um, but I'm glad to represent people of color. Well, I'm really excited about this. Thank you. Uh, my early experiences with AFP as an early, a really nascent fund development officer mm-hmm. <clears throat> was all white. Yes. Up in Atlanta, I had never really even seen sprinkles of diversity. We're talking early in my career in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. so seeing the progression, the diversity. It's encouraging to me, having been along this journey uh, over the last 20 years. So deep. Well, I'm happy to hear that. I actually spoke with someone who has been in the profession a long time. I only met her a year or two ago. And um, when I did call her, when I could say out loud that I had been elected chair-elect, she actually cried. She broke down and mm. cried. And that just warmed my heart. But that's how important it was to her. She could see someone that looked like her representing profession in that leadership role. So I'm honored. I'm honored. I'm delighted. Yes. Let's get into the data. Today, we are talking about the Association of Fundraising Professionals 2021 Assessment of Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Access. Mm -hmm. AFP put together this survey And I just want to talk a little bit about the data points, and I just need a little patience. I know that you're familiar with this report. Oh, yeah. We want everybody to hear it. Yes, bring it. Yes, I know that you're familiar. So just bear with me as I share just some interesting data points, and I'd like your reaction. So one of the first things that I noticed in combing through the report, and the report is about 70 pages had to sit with it a little bit and look at it. Very interesting. And I encourage good people listening out there to go and pull down the report for yourself. But here's what I found. I found a lot of what we already know, what we've heard in reports from organizations like Building Movement Project and others that point to just the BIPOC experiences, the experiences that BIPOC Nonprofit professionals 
are having that they're not really experiencing inclusion. And for intensive purposes, obviously the Association of Fundraising Professionals is all about fundraising. So we're talking about the experiences of BIPOC fundraisers. According to the report, incidences of bias and discrimination were more frequent than official records will indicate. And there are some 50% or more of cases over the past year, cases where folks felt like they'd encountered some kind of implicit bias or discrimination, the majority of these incidents were not reported. Mm -hmm. Okay, Um, we can park right there for a moment. Sure. Here's the thing. And I noticed when you were asking me about this, noting this in our communication, you took from the survey the quotes around official. And so, you know, let's unpack that for a second, because it's like, why are people responding to this in this survey? And what do we mean by they're not reporting it officially? We're talking about their human resources. We're talking about senior leaders, people that they're, these individuals are reporting directly to, even colleagues, often not sharing it with colleagues. And that was one of the things when we were really looking at the results of the data, those of us that were involved with this, and that's the the nine organizations that sent this out to their membership to respond, we were really surprised that the number 50% are not reporting this. And so we'll get to later in these questions about leadership, you know, thinking things are a little rosier than they are. But I also want to note, Kia, that this also included clothing and weight. There are many incidences of that included how people were dressing and the usual. We've We've talked about the hair. That's that's always been a discussion, but clothing and weight, that weight thing. And so I'm a plus size African-American woman. So I'm going, okay, I've had the experience, the discrimination because of my gender and absolutely because of my color, but I've also experienced it because of my weight as a plus size woman. So this was another area that people indicated, you know, that they had not been treated fairly. Yeah, so I have to be honest here. This is a vulnerable moment mm-hmm. for me because I saw myself in this data. Mm-hmm. I saw myself having withstood microaggressions in the workplace mm-hmm. and not having reported them. Mm-hmm. And, ha- and despite having, in some cases, been encouraged to report them. Right. So why didn't you? That's the thing. And that's what we're trying to get to as a follow-up. That's what we're trying to get get to through the AADO membership. And can I just say what AADO is since we referred to it a few times? Absolutely. So the African-American Development Officers Network is a network that I founded at Georgia Institute of Technology in 1998 when I started as a director of development, frontline director of development, and the first person of color that Georgia Tech had hired in the fund development office. And having worked for the United Negro College Fund for 11 years as my first fundraising job, I was looking for a community of people who, fundraisers who look like me. And the short end of that is I reached out to the Atlanta University Center 
Mayor Morehouse and Spellman and Clark Atlanta and Morris Brown and are and where I knew those people having raised money for uh, UNCF schools for 11 years. And so I started ADO Network with 25 fundraising professionals. And now we have over 3,100 professionals around the country. 85% are people of color and the remainder are allies and search firms. So I'm reaching out to the ADO Network to find out some answers like, how, why aren't we saying this? And, and so why didn't, haven't you reported it? Cause it's, it's the same answer, really. You're going to say what yeah. I'm hearing mostly. I'm happy to share why I was troubled about reporting this. Why mm-hmm. I did not report what I struggled with was this whole notion of this power dynamic because mm-hmm. in which I didn't report these weren't peers. I've been really comfortable and got down to a science addressing some of this stuff when it surfaces in engagements with peers. And mm-hmm. you know me, those that really know me, good people listening, know you could ask them and ask them how that worked out for them. And they tell you, oh, yeah, you know, she got me together. I, my, mm-hmm. Kurt, but assertive or what have you, but she got me together and I understood and we moved on from it. There's mm-hmm. nothing different about when the perpetrator is your manager, right? Mm-hmm. And we know that people don't really leave jobs. They don't quit jobs. They quit their managers. They quit mm-hmm. leadership teams, etc. So when I was having these experiences and even understanding that I wasn't necessarily the only person on the team having those experiences, mm-hmm. each one of us struggled with that power dynamic. What kind of backlash might we have realized as a result? Of as a result. Yep. Right. Exactly. Thing be done. Right. Yeah. Would there be any discipline. Right. Would we essentially, in reporting these instances, be making it harder on ourselves versus easier on ourselves? Listen, maybe I should just keep my head down, do my work at the end of the day, yada, yada, yada. So what happens is you do put your head down. You do say, I'm just I'm just going to do. But then you leave. The first opportunity you get, you leave and you don't come back. And if I call you and say, I'm interested in such and such organization, what are you going to say? Yeah, you know what <laughs> happens on the phone and the FaceTime. Exactly. About these experiences with employers. And they don't often don't realize that, that our network is strong. You know, AADO over all these years, 23, almost 24 years, the emails have come in. The phone calls have come in. I know what organizations have the, the reputations, the reputation for not being a place where an individual of color welcomed like they belong that is spoken uh, among our groups and i'd also like to talk about the standard of whiteness which we get judged against and people don't really understand that referring to the way that white people or their customs culture beliefs operate as the standard by which all other groups are compared so this is where microaggressions come from So when someone says, and I know it's coming, it happens all the time. I just had it happen yesterday. 
had a conversation with someone and they didn't say anything about the person's color when they started telling me about them, but I knew immediately that they were a person of color because they start off with, oh my goodness, I know this amazing person. And this is a white person talking to me. So I know this amazing person, they're articulate. Oh, they're so beautiful. They're bright. They're smart. They're so professional. And I know immediately that they are a person of color. I know immediately because all of those adjectives are based on the standard of whiteness that sets me on the expectation for which everyone is, is measured against. But I know you want to get to some more of the stats. I do, but I want to un- unpack, just respond to what you just said. You're absolutely uh-huh. right that white supremacist professional standard or standards that mm-hmm. people of color, blacks and otherwise BIPOC workers are held to. Mm-hmm. I'm a black woman. I, I don't want to wear bangs. And mm-hmm. uh, a page cut. <laughs> I want to wear cornrows. Mm-hmm. Bald and blonde for two years. Good people listening. Half of my head is shaved as we speak. Mm-hmm. I just challenge people and tend to want to know why do I need to look like that? And what does that have to do with the way that I perform my job? Mm-hmm. at it. I love it. I have incredible lived experience. So I push back against that. Right. But I admit it's not comfortable. And I had to evolve to this particular space and time. And I've been real honest with myself that, yeah, Kia, you have played a role in upholding some of that foolishness over the years. (laughs) You have. You've acquiesced and allowed people to think, oh, it was okay, and Mm -hmm. after some of the fodder. No. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Exactly. It's not happening. No, I'm going to push back. Good for you. You're absolutely right. And the other part about this that I find really, really paradoxical sometimes is the fact that we're talking about philanthropy. Mm -hmm. We're talking about charity. Mm -hmm. When people talk about charity and philanthropy, it's ultra polite. It's so wonderful. And it's this feel good kind of thing. And you've got white people in positions of authority. And even white people who are not that are working inside of these organizations, like the person that you were talking to, they mm-hmm. felt as though they were being benevolent and mm-hmm. really doting and lauding this wonderful person of color. And that's the dangers of white supremacy. It's like, okay, you, you're just oblivious to how toxic and how your biases are showing up. Exactly. In charity and benevolent, everybody's supposed to feel good. And you got individuals that are patting themselves on the back, (laughs) perpetrating racism and discrimination against people who are already marginalized. Right. It's really crazy when you really think about it. And folks, Mm -hmm. hey, I'm doing a humanity. I'm doing the world a, a wonderful service in this. You're damaging people. Right. So I want to point to a couple of more data points really quickly and just get your reaction. Mm -hmm. Interesting to me that people reported having these 
quote unquote, bad experiences being made to feel unwelcomed, Mm -hmm. isolated, and up to 60% of these respondents, well, Black respondents, reported having left a workplace due to harassment, bias, discrimination, and 52% said they believe that they have to work much harder than non-Black peers to receive equal treatment. And I would argue that it's never equal treatment. It's different. Mm -hmm. Even though you're working two or three times as hard, it's still very disparate treatment that we as Black people, people of color, are receiving in the Mm -hmm. organizations. Mm -hmm. So AADO works with organizations to try to help identify people of color through the attracting, recruiting, and retention post hundreds and hundreds of jobs on our website. And I'll still get those organizations that want to have a conversation about it and say, where are these people of color and how come we can't keep them? And then I will actually have people say, hiring managers say in so many words, and I can read, see right through it, they have to lower the bar or lower the standard of their lower their expectations to be able to hire someone of color to uh, work for their organization. They're saying, if we keep it where where it is, if we keep the expectations where they are, we're not going to be able to uh, hire someone of color to step into this role. And so they already have that sort of lower expectation and they don't ever give the individuals, the opportunity to be a part of the stretch assignment, give them leadership roles. They don't have them be a part of teams that are working on visible assignments that put them out there or even give them the opportunity to have the experience to grow. And I don't care what color you are, you don't want to work for an organization where you aren't given a chance to um, to grow and learn, be successful, step into leadership roles. And this all contributes to people's experience and not wanting to stay at, at an organization. One of the things that we're doing is surveying our AADL membership because you gave the, the number. There were over 2,000 who participated in the survey, but it was ridiculous the number of people of color who actually completed the survey. So I feel like the numbers are a bit skewed. So we want to ask our membership, why aren't you included in this? Is it that you didn't have time? Is it that you didn't feel that your voice mattered? Nothing would change. You didn't trust who was leading the survey, conducting it, tallying the results. And a small sample of our membership so far came up with, they didn't feel it mattered, that it would make a difference, that anything would change. And that is really upsetting and extremely concerning. And we've got to make a a change. We've got to figure out this movement that's really a moment of time, a panel discussion. Last year in May, very shortly after the murder of George Floyd, we had 1,600 people who wanted to hear voices of Black women fundraisers. We brought that back again, and we had less than 100 people that signed up. Everybody wanted to know, and we're moving on. There isn't as much enthusiasm about wanting to hear the experiences and learn what we need to bring about change. 
And can I tell you something else before we, we run out of time? One of the Absolutely. things that you uh, noted was that 75%, as, as I was just noting, of respondents were white, 25% were of another racial identity. And we learned that those who were CEO or executive directors were more likely to give their organization high marks for implementing idea concepts for seeing improvements in organizational processes and employee actions. While employees see this as a leadership challenge and many leaders believe they're making the progress, staff members do not agree at the same level. I call this uh, the emperor's new clothes syndrome. Remember the story, the emperor gets fooled by swindlers thinking that they, um, he thinks that they've made these fine clothes for him and that only bright and competent people can see these clothes that he's wearing. And he's prancing down the street with these clothes that only <laughs> the bright, smart people can see. And he's naked. Right. He is start naked and he's prancing and dancing and he's doing his thing. But how many people told him, uh, you're naked, sir. Exactly. <laughs> you, know, you are starting. And that's the, the problem. The leadership's prancing thinking they're doing their thing. They're thinking I'm doing well. And who's going to tell the leadership that they're naked? Just like you said, I didn't feel comfortable. I worked, put my head down. Leaders have to create that right environment for honest communication. They need to be self-aware and they need people who are not going to be yes people, but who are going to say, listen, this is not the way that this should be going. We need to make a change. It's got to come from top down and you are stark naked. That's right. And I would venture, I mean, if it's not happening within the C-suite at the board level, there's been a lot of conversations I've had over the last several weeks about the importance of the board having that voice, that involvement and mm -hmm. having having diversity, having that check and balance on mm -hmm. this foolishness that's going on. But you're absolutely right. I found that really interesting, that chasm between those leaders touting all this progress and equity and inclusion and the employees mm -hmm. that are just over it. Right. Oh, and, and oh yeah that are just completely over it. So no, that's interesting. And I appreciate you for lifting that up. I'm not done going through this report, but those were mm -hmm. some of the data points that we found. There's discussions on this whole notion of idea, the inclusion, diversity, equity, and access. Mm -hmm. I encourage you good people listening to pull this report down and check it out. So Bert, Birgit, I really want to get to really quickly because we are running out of time, the bonus mm -hmm. questions. And Birgit, I know that you know how heavy the work we do is sometimes. It's a thankless job. And I believe that we must be extra kind to ourselves. In fact, I'm being so kind to myself that I'm off from work. I'm not doing any work until from today through the 13th of September, wow. I returned to work, just needed to take some time, unplug, mm -hmm. shift gears with the season changing. And that's the extent that I'm going to be in kind and taking care of self. Mm -hmm. In that vein, I'd like to hear from you. What are some of the things that you love, three things that you absolutely love that make any day or even your most challenging day the best day ever. 
I'm a, a, a workaholic and that is, you know, shame on me. I get you know, preached to all the time by people who love me and care for me. And so I'm learning to set boundaries unapologetically. So um, I used to say, I'm really sorry, I need to take this time or I'm really sorry. No, I'm not apologizing anymore. And so one thing that I have is protected Tuesday. And so that is a day where I don't have any meetings on my calendar and I'm able to take my time, do what it is that I need to do, whatever that is, you know, work-related or not, even if I take a personal day, I refuse. And people try to force things on my calendar, kids. They're like, well, I see you don't have anything. Can we just, because that's the only day all these other five people are available. Well, I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. See what I'm saying? It's so easy to apologize. So setting boundaries, unapologetic. And then the second thing is I am a grandmother. I have 12 and four-year-old granddaughters who are my joy mm. and they bring me happiness. And I can, they only live 30 minutes away, but I can FaceTime with them. And it just brings me, this is, this is why I'm living right now. They mm. are just beautiful. And then the last thing is living here in uh, Georgia, I am only an hour and a half from the Blue Ridge Mountains, and I will go up there even if it's a two-day weekend. doesn't have to be a long time. And I have my favorite cabins that are gorgeous that look over the mountains. The breeze blows through. There's a hot tub, and I will go there in a heartbeat and not get phone service. <laughs> oh, wait. You are go unplug, huh? Yes, absolutely. Now, they do have internet, and I'm not saying that I don't, you know, check in and kind of, that's just my, my habit thing. But I absolutely, I just recently had cancer scare. I didn't say anything about it. I had to take medical leave. Everything came out fine. So I have a thousand percent new lease on life because yes. I didn't know what the next day was going to bring. So yes, self-care, setting boundaries and going up to some place where you can find your peace and joy. Well, I'm going to do that in my place right now is in my house. Okay. Stay I'm, Stay I'm doing it. That's yes. right. And let me acknowledge something that you said. I'm really happy that your scare mm -hmm. has given you that perspective. Yes. I'm happy and just prayerful about blessings and favor on your health. Thank you. Because we need you. We, we need you Aww. another 25 <laughs> years, 30, 40 years of your voice and your work Bless in you. industry. So we don't have time for that. <laughs> we don't. Thank you. We don't Thank have you. time. So I'm happy that you're healthy and you've got great perspective and that you have those boundaries in place and good people listening. Birgit raised some very salient points. We don't have to apologize right. for caring for self. And I'm going to go a step further and acknowledge the fact that I don't really hear men apologizing when no. they take time for self. That's really something that we as women do. And I've been challenging myself not to be apologetic about that. Yep. And putting self first. Putting self first. Absolutely. Amen to that. Amen. Birgit, what's in store for in the near future for you and AADO? Well, AADO started off as an informal network. Now it's a fully operational uh, 501c3. 
So I hope to step into the leadership role sometime in the next year and lead the organization for eight to 10 years and then really find a beautiful beach. I want to be like Oprah. I want to have multiple places, beach, <laughs> mountains. I grew up in Buffalo, New York, near Niagara Falls. I love that. Um, I have a home in Michigan, my parents' home in Southwest Michigan that I, I own and I go to about four or five times a year. So I just want to be someone who can, after I'm done, you know, increasing the number of professionals of color in fundraising yes. and left it in good hands, I just want to enjoy, you know, my final years, some rest and, and relaxation. And you will absolutely deserve it. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate what you're doing. We could never pay you back for what you've given to the industry in the way of talent, in the way of tutelage, in the way of voice. So I just thank can't you. celebrate you and thank, well, thank you. No, thank you. And thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity to, to give voice to what's right, what's wrong, what needs to be fixed and, you know, shining a spotlight on this important, important topic in our profession. So you're doing great. And and my friends have told me, have have you been on Kia's podcast yet? I was like, they're all alone. I'm scheduled. She got me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks for coming on and joining us and good people listening. What in the world is going on? We got flooding in New Jersey. Mm, we got flooding in New York in the summer. We got mm. flooding going on in New Orleans. So I just want to say to the good people listening, I don't care what your faith is or who you pray. Mm -hmm. I know who I'm praying to. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be praying to the Lord for deliverance and just protection and um, safety and comfort because there's a lot of people in distress right now. So good people listening, let's send our prayers and warm and positive vibes and until next week stay tuned stay down and keep your head up good people thanks for listening to the black fundraisers podcast like what you're hearing subscribe to the black fundraisers podcast on apple podcast spotify or wherever you listen and leave a five-star review connect with kia on linkedin Instagram and Twitter to stay connected.